In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise, endeavor to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After giving a presentation to a group of high schoolers one time, and we were taking questions afterwards, and one of the teens, he raised his hand, and, and I called on him, and he asked me, do you ever regret becoming a priest? And I was curious. I said, what do you think I'm going to say? And he said, I think you're going to say, of course. <laughs> yeah, some hard days, some really difficult days as a priest. Uh, maybe you're thinking, why did I do this? Why am I here? Why did I become a priest? And I looked at him and I said, maybe some other priest, not this one. I love being a priest. <laughs> I said, even the worst day as a priest, right, at the end of the day, just knowing that I'm a priest, that I am an altar Christus, that Jesus Christ is continuing his saving mission through me to sanctify souls, that the Holy Spirit comes to me with a special way, a special powers that work in the sacraments uh, to raise souls from the dead in confession, to nourish divine life in their souls through the Eucharist, right, uh, there's, there's nothing more amazing than that. Uh, but it did, did lead me to think, well, was there, any, was there ever a time in my formation when I thought about leaving? And then I remembered a day. It was the first day that I got to the Fathers of Mercy. As a postulant, that's the first phase. A postulant means to ask. And I got there, and I was very zealous, and I was ready to, to give my life to God in the religious life. And when I got to my room, there was a... a a stack of different papers, you know, different uh, notes for beginning the postulancy and eventually the novitiate. 
and there was a list of duties, of novice duties, and as I started reading through these different novice duties, and they included things like um, uh, laundering the, um, the vestments of the priest, I'm like, oh, that's, that's very, that's a beautiful thing to do. Uh, taking care of the sacred linens after mass, oh, I was excited about that. Um, clean up around the house, I'm like, okay, all right, I can do that, yeah. And, and then it mentioned giving the dog a bath. And for some reason, I was like, ugh. <laughs> so uh, I'm more of a cat person. <laughs> we had grown up with cats. We didn't, we didn't have a dog. And the thought of giving a dog a bath and you know, shaking and everything. And uh, I got queasy in my stomach. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to stop reading. And I went and I lied down and took a nap. <laughs> and, and I woke up later and I, and I thought, oh, maybe it was just a dream. <laughs> and I looked and I read the list again. And nope, it was all still there. <laughs> And I thought, okay, all right, well, we're going to do it, right? God's with me, um, and whatever he wants me to do, uh, I'm going to do it. Uh, so that, it was just the slightest little thought of like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? But it was something ridiculous, you know, just the thought of giving the dog a bath. Uh, and I'm reminded of this whenever I think of the fact that there have been people who come to our novitiate or you know, join any religious community, and they might leave within the first week or first few weeks. Right, or, or just, uh, just within a month or two. And, and it was perplexing to me until I came across a certain book. And the book is called, uh, the, it's on the discernment of spirits by Father Timothy Gallagher. And he is explaining St. Ignatius of Loyola's uh, understanding of the discernment of spirits, you know, of how the good spirit works and how the evil spirit works uh, at different times in our life. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, uh, before he had a great conversion, he was a military man, he was a soldier, and in one of the battles that he fought, he ended up getting wounded severely in his leg. And he was bedridden for a very long time, trying to heal from this, and he couldn't go anywhere. And while he was there healing, they brought him books. Uh, and all the books that they had there, the, the people taking care of him, they just had a life of Christ and a life of the saints. So he's reading these books, and he would have been more interested in reading about you know, military battles and knights, and, and he had all these ambitions to make a career for himself in the military and become somebody important in the world. Uh, but then he was reading this life of Christ, and he'd read about the different saints who just gave their life to God, and he started to notice the stirrings within his heart. Uh, this, is, this was a gift that God gave him to be able to start discerning the movements within his heart. Uh, he realized that when he thought about becoming someone important in the world, uh, while he was thinking about those things, he'd get pleasure. Uh, but then afterwards, after he stopped thinking about them, he would be left with, with sadness and, and dissatisfaction. But when he would have thoughts of, you know, I wonder if I could do what the saints have done and, and give everything away and just surrender totally to God and, and preach Jesus Christ. Um, he would get excited about that. And even after he had stopped thinking about it, th this sense of joy and excitement and consolation would stay with him afterwards. And this pattern would continue, and it took him a while to notice it. But eventually when he did, he started to be able to discern that one was from God and the other was not. And he offers us, for, for those... well. He says, these are for beginners, but I read this advice, and I'm like, this is amazing stuff. <laughs> right? uh, 
rules of discernment, 14 rules that he gives us of discernment uh, to know which movements in our hearts to welcome, which ones to reject. Um, if we find ourselves in consolation or desolation, to be able to distinguish between the two and act accordingly. And so it's, a, it's, a great, it's very pleasing for me to be able to share this with you. Once I read this book, I was like, oh, wow, I think uh, so many people could benefit from this. Uh, I started sharing this with, with people who, who came to the novitiate, right? Because uh, this helps to recognize what might happen when we're making a change of life like that. Uh, we'll start with the first rule. Let's begin at the beginning. Uh, the first two rules actually have to do with whether a person is trying to follow God or not. Uh, the first rule concerns persons who are going from mortal sin to mortal sin. Right? They're, they're not trying to follow God. Um, and there's two different spirits at work here. We're going to have the, the evil spirit trying to keep us there, right? He's going to try to encourage us to keep going in our sin. And he stirs our imagination with thoughts of sensual pleasures, uh, bodily delights, or it could be also just emotional uh, thought of comfort. You know, a comfortable life, you know, no, no, no conflict with anyone, just easy going, just want to get by. And so this could lead us to... Uh, keep on committing different mortal sins. Uh, the, the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to try to, in that instance, prick our conscience, try to help us recognize you know, our conscience. There's that basic law, do good and avoid evil, right? to seek God's will, and that these, these sins are, are, are they're beneath us. They're not worthy of our dignity as sons and daughters of God. And this is where this gospel passage comes in that we started with. Our Lord mentions when, this, when the counselor comes, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I thought it was supposed to be good news that the Holy Spirit's coming to us, but the first thing he's going to do, he's going he's to tell us our sins. He's going to convict us of sin. Um, yes, this is, this is good for us because then we can turn back to God. And so he's going to help us recognize if we are in sins. You know, some people, they say, oh, I didn't want to see that examination of conscience. <laughs> I, had, I or maybe prefer to remain in ignorance. No, uh, the, the bad news and then the good news, right? The bad news is, yes, we've committed sins. The good news is that Jesus Christ has redeemed us, that forgiveness is waiting for us there in the sacraments, right? He will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness, right? That righteousness is available to us in Jesus Christ. You know, he mentions concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Right, this is referring to that specific situation at the time of Jesus, that there were people who rejected him, refused to accept him as the Messiah, and because he said he was the Son of God, they wanted to crucify him. Their sin led to his death. Concerning righteousness, he says, because I go to the Father. He's drawing attention to the fact that Sure, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to ascend into, in glory into heaven. Uh, God is going to make it plain that they were wrong. Right? I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, and that I have now conquered sin through my death and resurrection. And he is now in heaven. Now we have the hope to one day be in heaven as well. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. Right there, he's talking about Satan, the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. The judgment's for him. God doesn't want to send any of us to hell. Right? God is sending us all the help we need to repent of our sins and get to heaven. Hell was not made for us. We were made for heaven. 
There's that moment uh, in Matthew 25 when Jesus is describing the final judgment and he, he says to those on his right, enter, enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And saying that heaven was prepared for us. But when he speaks to those on his left and he says, depart from me, you evildoers, into the eternal fire, he doesn't say, which has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. No, he says, which was prepared for the devil and his bad angels. Right? We're not meant for hell. Uh, the, the, the ruler of the world is judged. You know, Satan, his, his, all his power is going to be taken away. Uh, but if we repent, we accept God's forgiveness, we cooperate with his grace, then the good news is we don't have to go with him. <laughs> we don't have to go with the evil one. We can be with Jesus Christ. But it all starts with convincing the world concerning sin, acknowledging our sins. Now, at this point, I'm going to go through a list of, of different serious sins in those examinations. There's a long list of sins. It doesn't distinguish which ones are serious, which ones are, are venial. A lot of people want to know which ones are the serious sins. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this uh, in a different talk that I've given in my mission series. Uh, I try to give the positive reasons, you know, why we're not supposed to do these things and uh, you know, God's call to true love, especially when it comes to the sexual sins. Uh, total self-giving love in marriage is what God wants of us, and any of the sins against those fall short of that. Uh, but but for, this, for, this, for right now, I'm just going to mention them simply, different sins. Now, this can be hard to hear. Right? It can be hard to hear that something that we might have done in the past was a serious sin, or perhaps that a loved one has done, to hear that that's a serious sin. Uh, but I share this with you, again, because I love you. I love you very much. I will your good. I want you to be with me in heaven. And I want to work with the Holy Spirit to convict of sin so that we can bring it to Jesus and he can give us his mercy. So kind of going through the Ten Commandments, uh, Anything with the occult, right? Ouija boards, fortune tellers, tarot card readers, you know, all of that opens wide, wide doors to the enemy. Uh, we don't want to touch those. Uh, blasphemy, right? Deliberately insulting God or holy things, you know, always serious. Uh, missing mass on Sundays without a serious reason. Right? If we're too sick to go, that's, that's a valid excuse. Or taking care of someone who's sick. Receiving the Eucharist unworthily, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ, we believe, is there in the Eucharist. Um, failing to observe the Eucharistic fast one hour before receiving Holy Communion to honor that real presence in communion. Um, could be failing to observe the, the days of fasting or, or abstinence from meat during Lent. You know, bare minimum, the church has given us to offer some penance to God. Uh, all forms of, of murder, right? seriously injuring someone, uh, it, it, of course, a deliberate murder, homicide, but also this includes abortion. And, and there we, we always want to recognize this is not to condemn anyone. And, and God knows that so many of the cases, the women, uh, they felt like they had no choice. They had no one there supporting them and that you know, this was the only thing there for them to do. And so many of them now hurting and calling any of these things sins, it's not to condemn but to invite for healing through confession, through programs like Rachel's Vineyard. Right? We trust in God's mercy. Uh, other sins against life would be uh, euthanasia, right? uh, taking someone's life uh, before it's time or denying them basic care. Uh, in vitro fertilization is a good intention. Couples trying to have a child, but so much of the time it results in abortion through reduction of different embryos, 
uh, or they might die in the freezing process. Uh, Self-harm could be getting drunk, could be abusing drugs, and we lose the use of our reason, our humanity. Uh, it could be cutting ourselves, uh, attempting suicide. Again, if we know someone who's done these things, we're not condemning them, never lose hope. We pray for any relatives or friends who might have taken their own life. Right? To say these are serious is one thing. Did the person have full knowledge that they were serious? Right? For many people didn't, or they didn't have full use of their reason. Uh, someone leaving the Catholic Church, you know, another serious sin to renounce the faith. But did they understand that they were leaving the fullness of truth? Perhaps not. We keep praying and hoping for their, for their salvation. Um, also, in, uh, permanent sterilization. Right? To take a gift of the body, our fertility, and treat it like it's not a gift. We mutilate the body. Uh, artificial contraception. We make a distinction between uh, birth control artificial birth control for contraceptive purposes and natural family planning. Right? Similar intention, trying to space out pregnancies, uh, but the ends do not justify the means. Uh, one couple discerns with God that even he doesn't will a pregnancy at this moment. Right? They look for the times of natural infertility. This makes marriage stronger because they're communicating. Uh, that, but the other one is trying to cause infertility. So all the different forms of artificial birth control would be serious, and they would threaten the total self-giving love, sacrificial love. They would weaken the marriage overall. Also, homosexual acts. Uh, again, we distinguish that from the same-sex attraction. The temptation itself is not a sin. Uh, getting married outside the church for a Catholic. Uh, to non-Catholics, if they get married outside the church, they're not bound by the, the laws of the church for marriage. That could be a valid marriage. God creates a bond between the souls. But for a Catholic to receive that bond between their souls, they need to get married by the laws of the church. They need that blessing of the church. So if they don't do that, uh, free consent before two witnesses, before a minister of the Catholic church, in a Catholic church, then if they don't do that, God doesn't create the bond. It looks like a marriage, but it's not. And we wouldn't be able to go to a wedding of a Catholic who's fallen away from their faith and is getting married outside the church. Uh, this is difficult. This is demanding. Uh, but we want to invite the Holy Spirit to give us strength. We want to move with him. God will reward our obedience. Um, any of the other sexual sins, pornography, impure thoughts, masturbation, impure acts with self, um, all of these, you know, they're missing something of a total gift of self open to life. If we've committed any of these sins, we want to go to confession as soon as possible and let God take, take these away. So that's the first rule, is for a person's going from mortal sin to mortal sin, Satan's going to try to make us think like, oh, like, well, this feels so good, or, you know, it's just we're comfortable with it, whereas the Holy Spirit's always going to be trying to get our conscience, sting our conscience, get to confession as soon as possible. Rule number two is when we make that transition from, okay, we're, now we're starting to reject mortal sin. We want to start living a life for God. Uh, well, now the roles change. Now the evil spirit is going to try to sting us and sadden us and discourage us and bite us and make us feel like, you know, I can't do this. This is impossible. And the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to be consoling us, encouraging us, letting us know, yes, you can do this. You know, I'm with you. There's the example of St. Augustine. 
St. Augustine, we know for a long time, lived a, a life of sin. Uh, he was with a woman outside of marriage. Uh, and he said you know, in his confessions, he confesses, I longed to get my fill of evil things. Right? He just wanted to indulge himself in, in illicit pleasures. Right? But eventually the spirits, he started feeling that, no, this, this, I, this is not right. He started feeling the call to live a holy life. Um, and the, the bad spirit would sting him, thinking like, oh, how can you live without this? How are you going to change? You can't do this. But then he would be consoled at the thought of the virtue of chastity and continence. And he was inspired by the life of the saints, the Holy Spirit reminding him, so many of others have done it. You can do it too. And so this would console him. Rules three and four have to do with consolation or desolation. Which one are we in? Uh, this was very enlightening to me because I thought that I was supposed to be a happy Christian all the time, that I'm always supposed to be having these good feelings um, and the times when I was just not feeling so upbeat or, or full of zeal for serving God, right, I thought, oh, I think there's something wrong with me or, or you know, have I lost it? And he describes that there's going to be times of consolation highs, there's going to be times of desolation. And if we know this, then we don't have to freak out <laughs> and, and panic when it happens. And how does he describe consolation? He says, the soul becomes inflamed with love of God. It sees all things in God. It experiences an increase in faith, hope, and charity. All interior joy that, that quiets the soul and attracts toward heavenly things. So it feels easy. It feels natural. We're so attracted to prayer. We have a desire for it. But then there are times of spiritual desolation. Rule 4 describes those. I call spiritual desolation experience of darkness of soul, disturbances, attraction to low and earthly things. We don't feel so attracted to heaven. We feel drawn by just the, the sensual delights of the world. A disquiet due to agitations and temptations. Uh, we feel a, a lack of confidence, like we can't move forward in the spiritual life, like maybe you know, God's not with me or sanctity is not for me. Uh, feeling without hope and love, feeling slothful, lazy about our prayers or growing in the spiritual life, feeling sad, feeling as if we're separated from God, as if he is far from us, like he's left us. Uh, if we recognize that at any moment, then, okay, I'm in desolation. And the following rules let us know what to do when we're in consolation or desolation. Uh, some of the people who would come to religious life Within a few weeks, they'd start having this sense of, like, I'm not supposed to be here. I've made a mistake. You know, like, like God has left them. Like, no, I, I, I need to leave. Right? And even this feeling of certainty, like, I, I, certainty, I need to go. Right? And the council would be like, no, <laughs> don't make a change. This is rule number five. He says, when we're in times of desolation, we never make a change regarding our spiritual proposals. Right? The resolutions that we've made, the commitments we've come to when we were in consolation, and we were discerning God's will, and we made a decision, okay, I'm going to apply this to this community, I'm going to join them, right, or, uh, or some commitment that you made in your family and marriage life. Uh, if we're in times of desolation and we think, oh, let's just abandon it, or no, I'm not going to keep up with this commitment to prayer I said I was going to do 15 minutes a day or whatever it is, no, never make a change. Stay faithful to what we decided when we were in consolation. And I tell the person, don't leave, don't leave the community, just wait it out. And there's other things we do during this time of desolation. Rule number six is to resist. 
We don't have to just grin and bear it. We resist the desolation. We do what we can to try to bring ourselves out of it with God's help. And there's four main things that we want to be doing uh, to resist the desolation. And we're not going to feel like doing these things. Right? The feelings aren't there, but it's a willful choice to resist the desolation. So the four things are, one, prayer. Right? We pray for strength. We recognize I'm in desolation. I need God's help. God, give me the strength to make it through this. Uh, two is meditation. It's thinking about uh, the acts of God, you know, all of his faithfulness to the saints in the past, his faithfulness throughout the, the Bible, right? all of his promises, right? that he's going to be there, that he's going to bring me through this. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. He guides me in green pastures, right? parts of the Bible that lift us up. Right? This is what we want to be thinking about. So prayer, meditation on the fidelity of God, Three is examination. We want to ask ourselves, have I done anything to bring myself into this desolation? Because it's possible if we consented, consented to some sin, then every sin you know, invites the devil in some way to afflict us. So if I notice, oh, there was some sin, then I can go to confession, I can repent of it, and this might bring me out of desolation sooner. Now, he gives an example in the book, Father Timothy Gallagher, he mentions, you know, say there's a husband who goes to work, and usually he's very friendly at work, he, he's kind, he's very willing to serve and help others out, um, but a certain day he finds himself more agitated, uh, more annoyed by people, uh, maybe different temptations coming to mind around the lunch break, and he starts to examine himself, you know, why am I feeling this way? And it comes to mind, oh, you know what, uh, I was short with my wife, or, or, I didn't, or I didn't give my child you know, the time he needed this morning. He was trying to talk to me about something. What was it? And he, he calls his wife, and he apologizes you know, for not really being there, and this brings him out of the desolation sooner. So we examine ourselves. That's number three. And, and the fourth thing is suitable penance. Right? This is a way we resist the desolation by choosing to make an act of love for God, some penance. Now I feel like cutting my prayer time short. Well, I'll do the penance of praying a little longer than usual instead. Um, different uh, things we can offer up could be food, uh, good food that we like, tasty sugary foods. Okay, a little less of that. We can do some act of penance. Uh, could be some f physical exercise, right, if we don't like doing that, right? Anything we can offer to God. So prayer, meditation, examination, and penance. This is how we resist. That's rule number six. Rule number seven is to... Trust in God's sufficient grace. Right? We're not going to feel like God is close. We might feel like he's abandoned us, but our faith tells us, no, he never abandons us. He is always there, giving us the grace we need to make it through, right? to resist temptation, to remain faithful to him, uh, to continue in our prayer to him. So we resolve to grow. We recognize. Rule number seven is recognize why God uh, allows this to happen, why he permits it. He permits it so that we can grow, right? We, we make it through this, trusting in him. We're going to come out more of a saint in the end. Rule number eight is, this is a time for patience. When we're in desolation, uh, we, we wait it out patiently, pray for pray, patience to make it through, and we console ourselves with the thought that we'll, we'll get through this. It's going to be over soon. Right? It's maybe just another day, right? Uh, day, one day at a time, we, we take it through, and we just know God will bring me back into consolation. I will get through this. Rule number nine, he talks about 
three different possible causes for desolation. Uh, one, it could be uh, our own faults. Now, we mentioned this earlier that uh, it could be a sin that we've committed. Uh, God is it, God, He's giving us the opportunity for conversion to recognize, oh, I did something wrong, to repent of it, and I can come out more of a saint if, out of my sorrow for my sin, out of my deep conversion. So with, with all of this, God is inviting us to some spiritual benefit, even if it was because of our faults. The second reason could be that God's just, he's giving us a test. He's giving us a trial, an opportunity to learn where we are in this relationship. How much do I love God? Right? If in a time of desolation, you know, I'm so ready to despair or turn back to my old creature comforts, my sins, uh, then I get a sense of my love wasn't as strong as I thought it was. Right? If I'm persevering through it, it, all of this helps me recognize how close am I to God, and I can resolve to grow even more. The third reason that could bring this on is God offering us the opportunity of humility. Humility you know, along with charity, it's the most important virtue in the spiritual life. Right? The spiritual edifice, right? the, the, the mansion of our soul, it, it's built upon humility. Pride is the root of all sin. So even if we don't have a lot of pride, uh, God, he always gives us chances to grow in humility. When we're in desolation, we recognize, oh, you know, I, I can't necessarily sustain this, this zeal by myself. If God uh, withdraws his consolations, then uh, I could find myself very weak, and so I need to cling to him more. I recognize the poverty, poverty of our soul uh, without God's help. Rule number 10 is what to do when we're in spiritual consolation. Right? We could be tempted to just think, okay, this is great, and just yeah, kick back. Well, um, we want to recognize that, again, there's ups and downs, and this consolation is not going to last forever. So rule number 10 is to prepare, to plan. What am I going to do when I fall back into desolation? It's a time to re review those four things we mentioned, uh, to always have it ready, that when I fall back into desolation, I'm going to pray for strength, I'm going to meditate on the faithfulness of God and his strength that he gives, and I'm going to examine myself, I'm going to do some suitable penance, I'm going to resist the desolation, we plan for it. Rule number 11 is finding some balance. Uh, we recognize that uh, we depend at all times on God's grace. So we balance out. When we're in consolation, we could be tempted to, to pride. So we balance that with humility, reminding ourselves when we're in consolation, oh, well, don't get so high and mighty. Don't start thinking that you're so much better than everyone else because you know that in times of desolation, you feel very weak. Right? So this balances us. And then if we're in desolation, uh, we encourage ourselves, right? The, the devil wants to discourage us when we're in desolation. So we remind ourselves, okay, yes, I feel weak, but uh, remember there, that there's the times of consolation, that when God gives me strength, uh, I, can, I can be very holy. And so this helps us to not get too prideful, but also to not get discouraged. Rule number 12 through 14, he gives us uh, an understanding of the tactics of the enemy when it comes to temptation. Uh, three different tactics of the enemy that we want to know so that we can fight them. Rule number 12 is stand firm in the beginning because the way the enemy works is when he first tempts us, if we are strong, if we resist right away, we do the opposite of what he's tempting us to do, uh, 
then he gets weak, right? He flees, he runs away. If at the first moment of temptation, he sees that we're weak, that we're kind of dabbling with the temptation, maybe I, maybe I will give in, uh, we're not resisting firmly, then he gets encouraged and he pounces on us ferociously and makes it all the more intense. Um, he says, the enemy weakens and flees when resisted promptly by, by doing the opposite of the temptation. For example, if I start getting tempted to commit an impure act by myself, right? and, there's, and the devil's trying to feed thoughts of, oh, how good this might feel, right? but right away, as soon as I notice it, no, I'll do the opposite. Right? I'll do some penance, maybe get down and do some push-ups, uh, maybe do that striking of the breast that we do during the confidier, uh, maybe um, you know, just uh, go for a run. You know, something that's it's physically taxing, it's the opposite, something that might not be pleasant. Could be a cold shower. That's a nice fast one, <laughs> right? Uh, the body's like, oh, can we get some pleasure? And you throw a cold shower in there. Like, oh, okay. The body's like, all right, just, just, let, me, just let me out of this cold shower. Right? And this is not to hate ourselves, right? It's not that we hate our body. It's that we recognize Jesus has redeemed our soul, uh, but our body is not fully redeemed yet. It still works against us at times. And out of true love for ourselves, we're going to train the body. St. Paul says, I treat my body hard and make it obey me. For having been an announcer myself, I should not hope to be disqualified. So we do the opposite of the temptation. We're tempted to snap at somebody. Uh, well, maybe offer a compliment or a kind word or, or smile at them instead. I'd say a little prayer for them. Do the exact opposite at the beginning. The image comes to my mind of, you know, the devil, he's trying to stick his foot in the door, and if he gets his foot in the door and you slam the door on it, <laughs> then he's going to run away, right? Uh, but if you let his foot in the door and you keep listening to what he's suggesting, well, then he's like, <clears throat> gets his arm in the door too, and eventually like, breaks open that door and he, and, he, and he comes in. So rule number 12 is slam the door in his face, <laughs> all right? Uh, no, no, devil, I'm not going to do that. Uh, rule number 13, well, before we go on to that, how can we be bold? Well, it's not trusting in our own strength. It's recognizing God is with us. Jesus has conquered Satan. Uh, do, not, do not be discouraged, be of, of good cheer. I have conquered the world. Right? So he's conquered the evil one with his strength. The, the devil's like a chained dog. He, a chained dog, one of the saints said. He only bites if we get too close. Right? But Jesus Christ has taken us from him. Uh, rule number 13 is break the spiritual silence. When we are tempted to sin, Satan wants us to keep it quiet. Shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, one example that he uses in the book is St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, when she was coming near one of her professions of vows, she was tempted to doubt that she should go on to profess vows. And uh, there was a sense like, oh, if I tell my spiritual director this, or uh, if I bring it up, that they're going to think uh, I'm, they're going to laugh at me, or they're going to think I'm ridiculous, you know, this worry about uh, what they're, what they're going to say, um, or they're going to tell me to leave, right? She goes, she's, she, she tells her spiritual director, and she gets the consolation that, no, that, that's not from God. This is from the devil. You know, from everything you've told me, what I know about your formation, of course you're supposed to go on. Right? But the devil wanted her to keep quiet. Uh, the thought comes to mind or when it comes to sexual addictions like pornography or masturbation. A lot of the times there's this shame and this thought that, you know, if I tell anybody, then they're going to reject me. Right? They're going to look down on me. And there's this lie that Satan plants in, in the hearts of these people that if people really knew what's going on, then they'd reject me. They wouldn't love me. 
But no, the opposite. It, when we find good friends or family who care about us and we confide in them, uh, then they want to console us. They want to strengthen us. They, we have with us a, an accountability partner, an ally who's able to check in with us, remind us who we want to be, the man of God, the woman of God. They can ask us, how's the battle? And encourage us in that fight. We break the silence and uh, the devil loses power. I know one person who was struggling with sexual sin. Well, eventually he, he started telling his close family, his close friends. And with each person, he had someone else praying for him. And he felt that he wasn't alone in this and was able to conquer the much sooner. Uh, number 14, rule number 14 is strengthen the weakest point. Another tactic of the devil is you know, they're, very, they're very intelligent, right? They observe us very well, and they know us, some of them, better than ourselves, right? They know our weaknesses. So we want to examine where are my strengths, where are my weaknesses, where do I most often fall, what vice do I need to work against. Uh, if I am full of pride and conceit, then I need to practice works of humility, acts of humility. Without God, I can do nothing. Uh, if I'm very greedy, uh, then I need to do acts of generosity, maybe being more generous with my time uh, or with my money or whatever it might be. Uh, if I'm struggling with lust, I need to form myself in chastity, read good books about God's beautiful plan for marriage and ask him for the grace to live it out. We recognize where's our weakest point because that's where he's going to attack. And we fortify that and he's going to look for another point. So the battle continues, but uh, we keep... We keep growing. We keep strengthening. Uh, so I hope these rules have been enlightening, uh, especially if you might be in right now in a time of desolation. This can help give you some hope to stick it out, uh, work through it with God's help. His sufficient grace is always there. And the last thing that comes to mind is be ready to root out the lies of the devil. Right? So much of our, what we feel is based on what we believe. Right? If we feel like God is far from us, we feel like he hasn't forgiven us, like he doesn't want us, it's because we're believing some lie of the evil one. He preys on our vulnerable moments. He preys on us when it comes to our sins. And so there's a common question, you know, Father, I had this sin in the past. I've confessed it before, but I feel like I should confess it again. Is, is that okay or is that wrong? And I say there's two possibilities here. Uh, one possibility is you trust that God has forgiven you. You know, I, I've confessed it, God has forgiven me, and, and I forgive myself. Uh, I just, I, I want to renew my sorrow for this sin out of love for God, right, because I love him so much. That's good. Right? That can help us grow in holiness. That's a, a blessed are the sorrow, uh, those who mourn, for they will be consoled. We want to mourn for our sins. But the other possible case is that I have this biting sense that, you know, even though I confessed it, you know, maybe God hasn't forgiven me. Uh, maybe he, he doesn't love me. Maybe he's mad at me. Maybe he's going to condemn me for this sin. Or there's a sense that uh, I think God has for forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Uh, these are, this comes from the evil one who, who wants us to believe lies. You're not lovable. You're, you're, you're no good. You're a loser. You're a, you're a horrible sinner. Uh, God could never love you. Uh, if somebody who commits this sin doesn't deserve to be forgiven, this is common. He'll, he'll try to make us believe this so that we're tormented. We won't be able to let go. And so the phrase I, I give to people as a prayer is to be able to say, in the name of Jesus, that's a lie of the devil. I am a beloved daughter of God. In the name of Jesus, that's a lie of the devil. I'm a beloved son of God. 
Whenever some negative thought about yourself comes to mind or, or about your sins, right, we repent of our sins, but if some doubt about God's mercy for us or that uh, we are lovable, uh, no, we call it out. It's in the name of Jesus. That's a lie of the devil, and we preach the gospel to ourselves. I am a beloved child of God. I say it as many times as we need to, to resist firmly and make the devil flee. At this moment, let us turn to our Lord in prayer and ask him for the grace to, to live by these rules, to invite the Holy Spirit to, to guide us ever more closer to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of St. Ignatius and for your blessing upon him to be able to discern the movements within his heart and formulate his rules for the discernment of spirits. We thank you for this teaching being passed on to us and for the ability to examine our own hearts and recognize what movements come from your spirit and what movements come from the enemy. We ask through the grace won for us by our Lord Jesus Christ, through his Paschal mystery, uh, to be able to have that light of knowing your will, to have that strength to choose it every day, to resist the lies and the attacks of the evil one, and to become those great saints that you call us to be. And we ask this through the intercession of Mary, our Blessed Mother, and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.